I find when I say I'm disabled feels like really good in the same way that saying I'm queer feels like I like it actually. I'm an insane sexual shadow witch and my name is Lacey Free and I'm the fucking host of Horpod. Welcome to Horripod. It's New Year's weekend, and I'm working with DJ Robot right now in editing this episode that you're about to listen to with Mackenzie. I totally fucked up our beginning together, so we're going to just jump into where Mackenzie talks about how illness can be intimate. I think very strategically in our culture and society, we've applauded for the feminine to be sick, to be smaller. I've even seen people around me glee with joy when the feminine gets sick because sickness has often been equated with weakness. An example of this is I talked about it on a Patreon episode. And what I was explaining on that Patreon episode was that I have a friend I went to high school with and she's been battling with a chronic illness. And the chronic illness has made her really um, fat sometimes and then like me, it's made her drastically lose weight at other times. And recently she... And the doctors can't really figure out what is going on with her. But she was in the hospital for over a month on an IV. And in that month, she lost a ton of weight. So much that when she got out of the hospital, she couldn't wear any of her clothes. So her mom had to go through her high school boxes at their house. And she pulled out a high school sweatsuit and brought it to her. And the girl put on the high school sweatsuit and took a selfie and posted it on Instagram so that people could see her face and let let us know that she was out of the hospital. And there were around 200 comments of people cheering for her for losing weight. I read every comment and I couldn't find one that asked her if she needed anything if she needed any food or a friend or if she wanted to talk on the phone or asked her how she was doing now. But I saw multiple comments of people clapping for her because she was smaller. Her body was smaller. And I think it's we've become accustomed to feminine energy, no matter what gender that feminine energy is in, we clap when it's smaller physically, or emotionally, or energetically. Mackenzie has been part of my life for, I'm really bad with time, but I think like over 10 years now. And I'm older than her, and she was first in my life because we worked 
at a dive bar together and she was too young to drink and I fucking loved drinking um so the only times we would really connect was in the hostess booth of this dive bar and the thing about this hostess booth is that I didn't give a fuck that it was a hostess booth I was being paid to do my magic in a way I believed I was doing magic. So I would write poems at the hostess booth. I would have rap battles. I would have one girl who was a visual artist draw out my poems as I was like freestyling. And all the young people there, we like connected through art in weird ways. And we talked about mysticism and religion and race all in this hostess booth. And at the time, I wouldn't have told you that this was spiritual. At the time, I wouldn't have even considered Mackenzie as a huge part of my life. But I think sometimes the most casual connections can be our deepest teachers. The most casual connections can be our angels or our spirit guides. I think Mackenzie is very much angelic. And I should have got her permission before putting some sort of title on her because another part of Mackenzie is her huge darkness. And when, at some point we may release publicly a reading I did with her that kind of changed my life, even though it was a reading for her. A lot of her own darkness showed up and then we felt the wave of the darkness in the world. It was a year before COVID and kind of the crash that's happening now. And I could sense the crash coming because I could sense the crash coming internally in the energies I was reading for at the time. Mackenzie teaches us so much about poetry and about sickness and around about sexuality. So I was stoked to have her on Horpod. Her and I casually work together in this diner, but then have what I would have called randomly bumped into each other on and off since. One time it was because she released a book and had a poetry event and she asked me to come perform and that event saved my life in a way that I've never explained to anyone. I was letting the poetry within me die. I was letting parts of magic in me die because people around me were telling me that I had no magic. My finances were telling me that I had no magic. I was a nanny and I was getting sicker and fatter and felt more alone than maybe ever. And her writing that book and me doing poetry there, I was like, oh yes, I'm an artist. And I could go on about the other times we bumped into each other, but I don't think that we have to go there right now because where Mackenzie's about to go in this episode, I think is special because I think she holds on to darkness and light in a way that is teaching and healing the collective. Mackenzie is an artist. Mackenzie loves dance, music, poetry. And a lot of this has this episode is about like sick sickness and sex and how we kind of like brush off disability and brush off people who are sick as if they're not sexual and then we make fun of them. I've heard people make fun of disabled people because they like want to get off or harness their own sexual power and I say fuck that fuck that and 
let us all embrace the intimacy, as Mackenzie said, the intimacy that can come through illness. Mackenzie and I made a playlist for this episode. You can find the playlist on Spotify called Sick Fuck. This episode is called Sick Fuck. You can find the playlist. It's some of Mackenzie's songs that have gotten her through feeling sick. And it's some of my songs that have gotten me through feeling sick. In this episode, I don't touch on that I have an autoimmune disease and that I've dealt with different chronic illnesses my whole life. But I, I just want to say that just so you guys know that too. But I think the most important thing right now is hearing Mackenzie's voice within it. She's having a really big surgery in March. I believe that dance invokes magic. I think illness is intimate as fuck. And so just like intimacy, sometimes it feels really good to be really public about your intimacy and your sexuality. And that's empowering. And sometimes you want to just like keep it close and neither's better than the other, I don't think. Yeah, it's just how we, it's just the dance of our own healing within self. But there does seem to be a huge correlation between um, illness, sickness, and sex. And I'm even, I even love the talk about around disabilities and sex. I think I'm going to have my brother back on to like, for him to talk about like his queerness and being disabled, so severely disabled in like the queer community and what that looks like for him. And because every person is just like, and, you know, playing in it a little differently. And I, and I think it's so beautiful and I think it's so healing for the collective, even to hear the stories around it. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like, like that? Oh, I'm getting really hung up on the word right now. If we call it sickness, illness, disability, what do we, what do you want to call it for you right now? Well, I guess I want to answer that in two different ways. So you asked me what I have. And so I was born with a connective tissue disorder called Stickler syndrome. It's incredibly rare. So um, it affects connective tissue, which is throughout the body, meaning that it's had a lot of different manifestations. For me, I'm almost blind um, and I broke a lot of bones. So I broke my femurs as a little kid. I broke a ton of bones. I was always in body casts. Um, And then it makes me hypermobile so I can bend all my joints backwards and things like that. And this year, the reason it progressed so much is because it caused a bone in my skull to grow a little bit too long. My styloid process in my skull is too long, which seems like the tiniest little microscopic problem. But because it grew too long, it's strangling me from the inside. It's um, clamping down on my jugular veins. So I'm not getting any oxygen in my head and the buildup of pressure that that's caused has blown two holes in my skull 
that my brain fluid has started to leak out of. So it's kind of a weird, <laughs> I'm like, that's the kind of logistics of it. I have holes in my skull that my brain is literally dripping out of into my, through my sinuses and in through my mouth. And it's also internally strangling me, which I find like this beautiful metaphor for many, many different things. And then, you know, that's kind of all the logistics. And then I think there's also the spiritual process of the whole thing, which doesn't have as much to do with the logistics. And it's kind of just more about the overall process. And so, I don't know, some days it feels good to name that sickness and some days it doesn't. And I don't have, I don't know that I have a better word for it or if it's kind of useful for it to be uncomfortable to sit in the word sick. Yeah, maybe there's an element of us all feeling uncomfortable around sickness for sure. And even though I've dealt so much with chronic illness and being around people who are disabled, even like my mom putting me in a disabled preschool when I was little because my brother was so severely disabled, she wanted it to be like really normalized in our family. So even though she was like a teen mom on drugs, she still had this like deeper spiritual knowing of like how to integrate that in our everyday life, how to integrate disability and how to be a support for the disabled people around us. And that she made it very clear. I'm like no better than my brother, even if I had an able body. Hmm. And so as like a little person, I definitely saw myself as a disability advocate. And now I've like tried to chill that energy down a little bit because I can be really intense about it. But there was just nothing different about my brother to me until we learned that even that is a toxic trait Mm. to believe that there's nothing different about him because there was actually so much different. And by, by saying, oh, there's nothing different, we were like preventing resources to get to him. Mm. And it was kind of because of every everybody else's own uncomfortability around it that they couldn't just acknowledge, no, his body is different and his body needs different things right now, more support, and that there's nothing wrong with having more support. As you know, my experience growing up was, was similar in certain ways and that uh, my family was so uncomfortable with my disability and my having to grow up in body cast in the hospital that they actively discouraged me from ever saying that I had a disability or that I have a disorder or that I have a genetic condition. And they encouraged me actively to pretend like I didn't, which caused a ton of pain because I never had the right resources or advocates with me. And it also prevented me from recognizing the magic that comes with having a disability and later on in life, the creativity and the power and the sexiness that comes with having a disability. And at this point, I'm comfortable also saying that I think being sick is magic and being sick is sexy also. Yeah. Tell me about the magic around sickness. What does that look like for you? Sickness has brought me so close to facing my own mortality, first and foremost, that I'm, I feel so close to life all the time. I feel like my belly is like flat on the dirt of the earth 
all the time because I'm in constant recognition of how important and meaningful everything can be if I want it to be. It's kind of like a near-death experience, how you how often people come out of it with a ton of clarity and understanding about their life's big picture, except you get to kind of maintain that. Um, totally. Yeah, I love what you're saying about like being on the like having your belly on the earth and that being closer to death makes you way closer to life. And as a birth doula, as someone who's attended a lot of births, I saw firsthand that birth is the closest one of the closest the human bodies gets to death. Like the body that is giving birth, you can see the body struggle for its life and feel its own death. So like the screaming, the pain, the mm-hmm. tightness. When the birthing person surrenders to the death, isn't just tightening up their body and screaming and clenching when they like surrender to like, the death is the death energy, as I call it. I don't think most doulas, birth doulas, would call that death energy. But when they surrender to it, you even notice that their body looks more like death. It goes more limp. They relax their neck to the side. Their heart rate slows down. And then the womb, the portal, can open for birth to come in. Death and birth are both portal energy. And I think there's something connected to the fact that certain people got, even though you've been living with a disability, you got so sick right before COVID hit. And I think that there's a lot of people, not a lot, but there's certain people in your position who got so sick and had to isolate so much. And within that, I think you're transmuting. And this is just my opinion, and I could totally be wrong, and I'm sure there's people who disagree with me. But it feels to me like you're transmuting so much for the collective and that you're such a beautiful, bright teacher for what is happening to all of us now. Does that resonate at all for you? It really does resonate. I, because I went through that death process and that um, total collapse of identity and belief with my illness really acutely six, seven months before COVID hit, When COVID hit, I was able to see really clearly the really quick and beautiful transformations that it was causing in the people around me. And they might have been so caught up in the 3D of it because it was so brand new to them that that might not have been accessible. But I feel like I got to have a really clear view of what that looked like since I had already sort of grounded into that experience myself. I do sort of just feel like I got a little preview of it. So I sort of got to adjust and, you know, get back in the, in the driver's seat of my own life experience with it before COVID hit. And it did feel like I sort of got to hold some grounding space because of that, which felt good. Totally. So how has it affected your sex life and what, And what do you feel around sickness and sex? I felt early on. So I lost all my energy. I was 
almost completely bedridden for the first six months. I left the house to get sunshine a couple of times, but the only thing that would give me energy was orgasm. And so I immediately was finding that link between the need for sex and healing. Like I I never knew exactly what the connection was, but I knew that my healing was going to have something to do with sex because that was the only way I could get enough energy to get out of bed. And with being able to connect to a little bit of sexual energy, it was mostly masturbation. I also felt like floods and moments of having extreme bursts of creativity and inspiration and connection that felt like such contrast to my illness. It felt like sex was a portal to like getting some life energy back. So it always feels like an important connection between the two to me. That's so beautiful. Um, And you said it was mostly just like sex with yourself that was creating that or was it with other people too? It's been both. I would say that during the worst symptom episodes, it's like difficult to move my limbs and open my eyes. So it's sort of like a closed circuit that has to be with myself because I only have enough energy for masturbation. But there has been a, a lot of really beautiful connection that's come later on um, with sex with partners as well. Yeah. And when you talk about like specifically getting energy from orgasm, is there like, what does that look like for you? Like, what did that feel like? Um, And were you conscious of it right away that that's what was happening? I mean, in the beginning, it was so, uh, it was almost survivalistic. It was like, I could only get up to go to the bathroom and like some days take a shower if I could find a burst of energy. So I would literally, the only way I could find that was to make myself orgasm. And so in the beginning, it was like this very like rote, like I have to do this thing in order to have enough energy to move. And then it sort of started opening me up more to like, well, maybe there's something here. Like maybe there's magic here. Maybe there's power to be harnessed here. For me, sex has so much to do with creativity and art too. So quickly, even though I didn't, especially in the beginning, have the energy to actually write poetry or create art, I felt like having an orgasm brought me a sense of inspiration that I could at least like write down a couple of notes from and then come back to later when I did have enough energy to connect to my artistic side. This might be like a too invasive of a question. So don't feel like you have to answer it. But like, so for me, when I was sick, or when I am sick, I it's hard for me to like, sometimes want to masturbate because nothing feels sexy to me. I don't feel sexy. There's nothing on the external. Like, it's not like I like some hot things going to come into my room when I like, haven't even washed my face for the day. You know what I mean? Like, what was your sexual inspiration? Or like, what did you think about when you were masturbating? Or how did you allow yourself to go there? You know, I'm not saying this is good, bad, or or either. (laughs) (laughs) But I turned my own illness into my kink. So I got really into, like, the idea of doctor play was one. Um, The idea, I actually got it sort of borders like DDLG kind of the stuff that I've played with. That's been really Explain hot to me. Yeah. 
Yeah, so DDLG stands for Daddy Dom Little Girl, which is a pretty involved, you know, a lot of folks are like really delved deep into that kink. And I'm not saying that I am. Mine just has some adjacent pieces to it. Um, The idea of DDLG is that there's a little and then there's like a caretaking person who caretakes the little. Um, And that part of it in terms of my illness actually was really hot and really inspiring to me to, to turn. I had kind of negative connotation prior to getting sick of like, I was afraid of asking for help and needing help. And in my sexuality, in getting sick, I suddenly turned needing help and needing care into a kink. So it's kind of a caretaking kink that that I was using, especially in the beginning, but it's still part of my sexuality now as well. I think that's so fucking beautiful. And I just like want to cheer for you right now and howl. Oh, (laughs) I like, I like, I think it's so beautiful when we can like turn our darkness into our own sexual power. And I think it's something so much bigger than just who we are as sexual individuals or the physical act of sex or the physical act of masturbation. And I think I just want you to talk more about it. So you, so was part of you like frustrated that you needed care or did it start like to turn you on in ways? How did those two coincide? In the beginning, my need for care scared me, um, particularly because historically I've had really difficult, sometimes abusive relationships. And so the ways that I have gotten care from partners historically wasn't necessarily safe for me. Um, So a big part of this process for me has been transmuting some of those wounds also and, and finding safe partnership and safe sexual partnership to receive care in. And um, that's been a part of healing with my illness as well is finding that safe place to get the type of care that I do need and to also be okay with needing that care and that it's hot as fuck sometimes. Yeah. What about it is hot? For me, a lot of the kink is like being told that I'm good and just being like really sweetly taken care of in sex. Um, And a lot of that is verbal, like you're just such a good girl. And to me, that feels so good and so caretaking and so validating. And that wasn't a big part of my sexuality at all before I got sick. I I was, I think, maybe a little afraid to play with that kind of exchange beforehand. But now it just feels healing and medicinal to be told that I'm so good and that I'm worthy of being held and cared for. And aftercare is a really big part of it, too, you know, um, afterwards like really being held and stroked and touched sweetly and being told that I deserved all of that and that I deserve to feel good and there is a part of it that's like really playful and I like feeling little in that way also because I think illness often makes us feel small in a negative way or that can be like the initial reaction or society's reaction but if we get to reclaim that for me anyway reclaiming that it's like being little in bed and being kind of innocent getting to play innocent in bed and like it's okay that I need help and it's okay that I need love and it's okay that I need limits even 
yeah, to me, kind of getting to take it back is empowering. You just said um, the word limits and that you need limits and that it can be empowering. What do you mean by that? What does that look like? Yeah. So I like to play a little bit with, in a kink context, with like rules, (laughs) which is hilarious because I'm a person that cannot follow and will not follow rules in my in my true personality. But in kink, I really like to play with rules and like being told what I can and cannot do in a rule based way. And um, I like being rewarded for following somebody else's limits and rules. And it's just fun. Wow, following rules can be fun. It's interesting. (laughs) Especially for like a person. So much Sagittarius in my chart. I do not like authority. I do not like rules at all. But I yeah. think I think it's part of the caretaking interplay of like this person has certain things that they that they want in order to be taken care of. And if I follow those guidelines, then you know, it's like an exchange of care in a certain way. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I think sex can teach us so much about who we are in the physical plane, like in our everyday plane. And I think you're doing such a cool experiment by playing with care, like how you care for someone else, how they care for you. And I didn't even, which is silly of me, but I didn't even think about how like sex magic and sex games has so much to do with rules and direction And like either the breaking of rules or the following of rules and how we like interplay with the two. And even the word rules like gets under my skin. I'm like, ooh, I don't like that. But you just made it sound like very sexy. And I wonder if I could heal part of me who struggles with rules and struggles with authority by playing with that through sex. And getting to choose whose rules you want to follow too, like who you trust enough that their rules, you know, it's like you still get to choose. Right. And so much of the, I think when people think of kink, a lot of times, if they haven't had a lot of experience going deeper into it, I think they think of like whips, chains, domination play. Um, And I think it's so much bigger than that. Kink can be, like you said, affirmations of like, you're doing good. You're a good girl. You deserve this. You're so sweet. You're loved. You deserve to be loved. And then just like holding you in that. Mm -hmm. And I think we can heal previous timelines. Are you talking dirty to me, Lacey? I was maybe. I'm like, whoa. (laughs) But I, but it's so funny because that's like so different from how like I see dirty. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, well, if that's the case, I like, it's literally my job is like, like, not my job, but I feel like one of my roles is giving the affirmations to gods so that they see that in themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. because I think our culture and our society has like ripped that from each other, Mm. you know? And I try to say that to myself is like, you are doing good. You're, you so deserve this love because I don't believe I do. Mm. Like, 
sometimes I get turned on like by people being really fucking mean to me. And it's, and there's, there's healing in that, but I think there's also like re-traumatizing in that. Hmm. And what if you could like flip the script, not you clearly, but what if I could flip the script and have someone like not be mean to me in bed, but love me so much instead and use that Mm. as kink. Mm -hmm. We don't think of, I don't think of love as connected to like kinkiness. I was going to say, it's so interesting hearing you say that, like the re-traumatizing in sex. I have shame right now about, it's really hard for me to not think about my hospital medical trauma while I'm having sex. And this conversation is kind of illuminating some of what I'm doing to heal actually in doing that because I do have a lot of trauma with doctors sexualizing me and also doctors being cruel to me sometimes at the same time. And so it can be really jolting that that type of imagery is in my head when I'm having sex, but mixed kind of with the care kink. I have those same doctors, not really them, not really what they look like, but, you know, figures of doctors having sex with me, but they're saying really sweet things to me that doctors, of course, would never say of like, you're such a sweet person, you deserve so much love, you deserve to be cared for. And it sounds really weird to say out loud, but it's just kind of the merging of kind of like trying to repave trauma in a different way. And I'm not saying that's a good thing, but it's a thing that's happening. (laughs) I think we can let go of good and bad. You know, Mm -hmm. I think we all have different ways of how we're healing ourselves and what might be good for you could be harmful for someone else. And it's like up to their body to figure that out. Mm -hmm. But to me, just as an observer to what you're saying, I'm like, fuck yeah. (laughs) So I don't believe like time is linear. I believe all the timelines we've had are still in existence. So, for example, you at the hospital where your body was being abused or mistreated or if there was any form of lack of care, I think that that timeline deserves healing. And I think how we bring those healing to other timelines is either through meditation and accessing a portal where we can go to those timelines and rewrite it. And sometimes this portal sounds like a big, crazy thing outside of ourselves, but I leave portals are internally and that they're coming out of our bodies. And I believe um, our bodies, our mouth is a portal. Our genitals can be portals. And so sex is a beautiful way to tap into that energy to go back and heal timelines. And I feel like that's exactly what you were just explaining, at least in my opinion. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But I feel like what you're saying is you're rewriting the script of what happened with the doctors. You're having a partner you trust come in and you both are consenting to this and You're having your partner sort of be this caretaker, whether it's a doctor or whatever. And then they're rewriting what the doctors actually said to you. Mm. Right? Is that what you were saying? Absolutely. Um, And I don't mean right. I just mean, is that sort of how you see it or feel it? I think the thing that I get in my head or I feel shame about is that I don't 
get to control when the images of the hospital and the doctors arise. And so even sometimes when I'm not trying to enact that kink or, you know, sometimes when I'm just trying to have good old vanilla connected sex with my amazing partner, I'm like, God damn it. Why is my brain putting me in a hospital gown right now? But this conversation is healing to me because I'm just recognizing that, of course, while I'm in the thick of the trauma, my body is doing all that it can to help me heal and protect me from the trauma that's still actively occurring in my life. And so I think this helps me give myself compassion, the part of me that is wanting to use sex as a way of repaving it and to just give myself time for that to be what what's here, you know? Totally. Yeah, I think you kind of already answered this question, but what I was thinking about asking you is, why do you think those images show up when they do? Well, I mean, you and I have talked a lot today about collapsing beliefs and kind of the double-edged sword of holding beliefs outside of ourselves. And I think my belief dying in the Western medical system has trauma and has implications, maybe not trauma, but just has like a trickle down effect of me having to face all of the different beliefs and all of the different authorities that I've given different beliefs. And all of them are trying to die at the same time. And I think it's just a lot of system overload. Um, And I think even during sex, that's such a For me, that like brings me into whatever internal workings are happening subconsciously and spiritually. And so because things are dying in that space, they're wanting to like show back up on screen and sex a lot to like reconfront the belief and reconfront the belief. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I believe like how we start collapsing certain things is to like fully see them and fully feel them so that we're able to rewrite the script. So like I would say that it's showing back up on the screen so you can see it again. And and it's like, hey, this this part is still here. And then you're like, oh, okay, that part's still there. How do I rewrite that? And not mm-hmm. that it takes away your trauma. I think that trauma is always going to be there. Some people are like, Lacey, I tried to collapse this timeline and it's still there. What the fuck? And it's like, okay, that when our timelines are still there, there's something we're still learning from them. Like, I don't think our timelines are there to haunt us. I think our timelines are there to like continuously integrate it until we're ready to rewrite it or collapse it. Mm. And I think if we push it away, it can turn into this external energy outside of us that can become its own sort of entity of sorts that begins to haunt us. But if we say, okay, this trauma is up on the screen now. Unfortunately, it's showing up when I'm having vanilla sex with my partner. But is there a way I can rewrite this trauma right now or even go deeper? And sometimes I like go deep into the trauma, like be mean to me, do this traumatic thing to me so I can sit here through it as a 31 year old rather than when it was happening to me when I was 12. Cause some, cause exactly what you're explaining, I'll feel too. Like, I'll be like, why am I thinking I'm having sex right now with someone I love? Why am I thinking of this person raping me? 
Mm-hmm. Why am I thinking of this person who like did this weird ass thing to me? And it's like, when I shove it away, it haunts me and I start thinking, oh, I'm bad or I'm so gross or I'm fucked up that I'm thinking of my rape right now. But I found it helps me when I like go into it and allow that person to play the role and then the rewriting occurs. Do you think that part of why that shows up in sex? Because for me, what has been so interesting for me is like how I like this idea of being in a hot, like suddenly in sex, I like the idea of being in a hospital gown. I like the idea of being in stirrups and being submissive in these ways that I don't like, and I am not in my, you know, in my waking life. And so I just wonder, do you think it's, um, do you think it is a part of ourselves that's trying to accept those pieces of our story and, like kind of like we're trying to hold ourselves out of feeling shame for the things that have happened in our lives. Does that make sense? Like, do you think there's a connection there? A hundred percent. I think, especially in the cases of like sexual abuse, when we're being sexually abused, it's people siphoning our power. We think it's about sex. We think about it. It's like, Ooh, it's sexy. It's hot or whatever. Like that our abusers like thought it was hot, but I don't, I think abusers do it to siphon power because they feel powerless. And then when we rewrite the script, whether it's envisioning the sexual abuse that occurred to us, or in your case, like the medical abuse, or even like not being seen. And when we like go, like some people like humiliation sex, where they're like being spit on or not seen or being told they're worthless Because either, like, they feel too seen in normal life. Like, sometimes the issue is, like, they feel so seen that they don't always feel their power. It's like everyone else has access to their power. Everyone else has eyes on them. They can't hide. So they might be more prone to, like, being humiliated. You hear, like, when you talk to sex workers, you hear that there's a lot of, like, power executive masculines who want to be, like, spat on and spanked because they're just so used to like being the ones in power and control. So I think it has to do with power. Either we're exempl- we're giving too much of our power away or it's being siphoned or we're not giving enough of our power out into the world. And I think it's all just a power play of us healing ourselves within power. So when we talked earlier, we you did a sex reading today and we talked about sex a bit. And one of the things you said was to be erased. And I was like, what? And you said, and I don't think you were talking about this, like play this caretaker play. I think you're talking about a different aspect of your sex, but correct me if I'm saying this wrong. Um, But you said like, there's something you like in sex about being erased. Do you want to speak to that at all? Yeah, totally. Um, It feels like it's old, this like desire to be erased during sex. I can trace it back to like early masturbation and early arousal when I was in elementary school of, it's not something that's super developed, like why my understanding around why I want that and what part of me it is that wants that, that was actually kind of the driver to wanting the reading was to sort of tap into like what that is inside me that wants that but it's really old it feels really core it feels 
just like this kind of perplexing part of my sexuality that has been present with me ever since I started having sex of this thing that happens where I feel like I disappear sometimes during sex and that I actually crave that and desire it. Yeah, that's so what. And do you think that's a different energy than like when you feel like you're being cared for and being told you're doing a good job? I think they relate to each other in certain ways. And I think the caretaking play is sometimes does carry a little bit of that, but it also, to me, the desire to be erased is kind of a darker energy. Not that I'm saying it's negative or bad by any means, but it is a little bit darker and a little bit more wounded. Yeah. And it's a part of myself. I'm, I'm kind of lacking words because it's something that I don't understand very well, but I do feel like it might be an experience that women have, or maybe people have in sex often. So I'm not, I I know that it's been echoed by people around me who have the same experience, but I'm not sure where it comes from. When we were on the phone talking about like the energy of being erased during sex, I just asked you what you felt like it was. And the first thing you brought up was like porn that you witnessed your brother watching or that you found. Mm Mm-hmm. How do you feel like that relates? My earliest sexuality, I feel like, was very informed by my brother leaving porn on the on the computer on our childhood shared family computer. So I was probably eight years old when I was finding this, and it was a lot of like women with their faces covered, or women whose who were only exposed from the waist down. Women who are kind of being reduced to their limbs and their genitals only. And I've always now, probably because it was paved from since I was so young, I've found that to be like really erotic, this idea of kind of disappearing and just just being there to serve or to please. And it's a part of my own sexuality that's always made me quite uncomfortable. It's actually a part of me that kind of scares me about myself a little bit. I think what you're saying is so big and it to me it feels like the human aspect the personalized aspect of the feminine body becomes erased and it just becomes the genitals and I think that's how we live life in the 3D I think we depersonalize women and just go for the sexual organs And not just with women, with queer people, with with anything besides the main masculine patriarchal energy. And I feel like that's what we do with the mother. Hmm. We see her as just this like portal that we come out of. And then we sort of like dehumanize her and take from her hmm. as a collective, like as a collective energy. And I think that's what we do to Mother Earth. We don't, we're not treat, we're not taught to see the earth as a god. We're not taught to like necessarily pray to it, especially white people. And I think that's really damaging to us as white people. And then I think there's an aspect that we don't see the world as a god or a goddess. And then we take advantage of it. And then we don't see other people as gods or goddesses. And then we take advantage of them. Mm. And I think to survive on the 3D has been to put that that blanket over the head 
and like fuck the person for their power or for the resources Mm. because it's hard to look at a bean in its eyes while you're siphoning the power from them Mm. because we're just trying to cover the soul of the matter and I think that there's something from when you were little that it's almost like your soul was being covered up a little. Like what you were expressing and feeling, it was kind of like you were told in ways like, no, you're not disabled. No, you're not this. Only say this. And it's almost like you couldn't be that big you. And and in a sense, your family would clap for you or tell you you're doing a good job when you would be smaller or act smaller. Mm-hmm. I know this just because of what we've been talking about all day and from knowing you for years. Um, But does that resonate at all? And what are your thoughts around that? It does resonate. It it really resonates. And I think, I don't know, kind of what the initial, what's popping up for me here is that all of that, like my desire to embody that or perform that or experience that, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of my, my sexuality feeling ashamed of it. And I think for me anyways, the shame itself is kind of, and even the shame isn't bad, but the shame itself is kind of the thing that I'm working on wanting to change my relationship with, because I do, I do see so much wisdom and power in just allowing yourself to want to embody your own wound and embody your own lineage in a sexual way even if it like so I guess what I'm saying is even if I do desire to be erased sometimes cool maybe I can take the shame away from that and just be like hold myself in that and and be okay with that being something that I want to repave yeah and I I hope it didn't just sound like I was giving you the answer for like why you were feeling drawn to being erased. Hmm. Because I think there's like a multitude of answers and not just one answer. And I think whenever we get readings or get called to certain people, it's not about finding the one answer. It's about having people hold space for you so you can tap deeper into your own truth mm-hmm. because I don't have your truth. You know, nobody, the person you have sex with doesn't have your truth. Like you are an autonomous being. You are the God. And I'm not telling you, I'm just mostly saying this for people who are listening. Like I'm just as unhealed as the next person. And all we can do as healers is hold space so that the person can tap into their own wisdom. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's something so big around wanting to be erased. And I think, do you have anything you want to say about that? Because I feel like I'm about to go on a tangent of like what being erased might be or look like. I was just kind of reflecting on in the beginning, you said that you wanted to interview your brother on on disability and the queer community and sex. And I think what's happening so much for me right now is being sick being disabled and stepping fully into my queerness kind of as a conjunction of different things that I'm doing all at once really has put me in touch with my autonomy and with my magic and with chosen family and these really deep supportive connections that I didn't previously have. 
And so it's not easy to achieve erasure anymore. Whereas the way I used to fuck in kind of violent relationships, I used to seek out kind of violent relationships with masculines and um, with cis men. And it was really easy for me to pull erasure out of those particular relationship dynamics. And now that I am stepping more into this like autonomous space with my queerness and my sexuality and my illness and my sexuality, I I have this like desire to be erased during sex, but I'm so seen by myself now and by my community and my partner that I can't. And so sometimes I just like freeze up and don't know how to have sex at all because I'm used to being able to erase myself really easily. And suddenly it's it's a lot harder to to do it when I have the desire to do it. Is there something about being in your queerness that feels uh, like you need to be erased less? Totally. Or do you, what is that? So I tried to come out as queer when I was 19 and it's taken me a ton of tries because, and this is just my personal experience. This is in no way saying that cis men are bad at all. I was seeking out a particular type of violence and it happened to be with cis men and no judgment on cis men. Um, But I tried to come out as queer And I knew that I was queer, but I was afraid and ashamed of my queerness. And so I kept going back to these very, very heteronormative, toxic relationships to try to like convince myself to be straight. And it was just governed by my own shame that I kept doing that and that I was afraid. I was really just afraid of the judgment that I would feel from both myself and my family from fully stepping into being queer. And so I was kind of just like bypassing this whole part of my identity and my existence by trying really hard to force myself to be straight and to fit into a straight narrative. And I just witnessed that happen again with my sickness of like, it was really the judgment of my immediate family, my immediate community and institutions and myself that I was so afraid of. And so I was like bypassing all the gifts that were coming up from being sick, even though they were loud, there was like so many immediate, beautiful things that wanted to integrate into my life when I got sick, but I was just so afraid and so ashamed that I couldn't integrate it. And so when I fully just accepted being sick and accepted it for being a gift and being a form of magic, I suddenly was like totally able to step all the way out of the closet with my queerness and um, be really unapologetic about it. And so I feel like the part of me that wanted to be erased so much was like the part of me that was trying to force myself into narratives. And I'm not doing that anymore. Can you talk a little bit about like queer sex magic and what that looks like for you? A lot of I got a lot of people were like a little worried that when I say sex is creation energy, that I mean like man, woman creating a baby. And that is not the fucking what I mean. It can be that. And I'm a birth doula. So I've seen that a lot, but it's way beyond that. And what is like queer sex magic look like, feel like to you? (laughs) I love that. Uh, Queer sex is so creative. Um, And again, I'm totally not dissing on heterosex with anything that I'm saying, but 
heterosex is scripted to us. You know, it's what we see in the media. It's what we see in romance novels and what mostly our institutions and our parents talk to us about. And there's a very clear script. We've seen it visualized in porn. We've just seen it everywhere. So there's like subscribed ideas when we go into a heterosexual situation. And a lot of people totally break the mold of those ideas and have super creative heterosex too. But when you're queer, you have to have creative sex because there is no script. You don't know who is supposed to be doing what you don't even like the act of sex itself can mean so many different things when you're queer and you have to be in dialogue, whether that's like actual tangible dialogue or spiritual flow dialogue of what is sex going to be between me and you or me and you and you, you know, and I find it, I think it's totally magical and totally creative because you have to, strip yourself of all of the preconceived ideas around sexuality and create and co-create whatever you want. And there is no limit and there is no subscription beforehand. That's so wild and to me, um, way more vulnerable. That's my experience is that it's like way more vulnerable. And when things are more vulnerable, I think they're more healing. I think they're more potent. I think they have more of a capacity to like bring new life energy, new, new ways of thinking. But yeah, it's so vulnerable. I think I'm like very open around that I've had sex with all genders and that I've been in relationships with all genders. But I think for me, like just allowing the vulnerability of like being with a feminine and like seeing the feminine as sexual is like hard for me mm-hmm. because so much of my own trauma has been around like being very sexualized in my feminine to the point where I like start heavily relying on my own masculine energy. Mm-hmm. And I've always like fiercely protected the feminine around me. Mm-hmm. And I've just have always liked loved my friends that are girls I've always and even like you know like my queer guy friends I just like fiercely love the feminine in them and see like myself as a protector of their feminine and even straight dudes in my life like they might have more aspects of them that are like very artistic or emotional and I just see myself as a protector for the feminine so it's very hard for me personally to like sexualize the feminine Mm-hmm. Outside of sex, I can sexualize myself. I can be overtly feminine and overtly sexual and like have cleavage and curves and like do that. But to like do it to another woman, I just feel like <gasps> it just feels like, nope, I don't. Mm. And I don't know. I don't know if it's because I really don't have like sexual feelings towards that feminine or if it's because I'm so like programmed and wired to be like, this is so sacred. Mm-hmm. It needs to be protected. And I just see so many of my feminines around me so sexualized and that they just need a person for once who's like, don't sexualize me, you know? Like totally. I had a I have a friend once and we would just like I don't do this with a lot of people. I'm not very touchy, but we would cuddle and like and she just like asked me if that was okay and she was like very soft very feminine looking and feminine like in the external 
physical world. And I was like, yeah. And then in the morning, I felt weird because I was like, am I sexualizing her by doing this? And I wasn't. Like, she had no sexual feelings towards me that I know of. And I had no sexual feelings towards her. We were, she was just in a place where she had just moved somewhere. It was a crazy blizzard and she had no touch in her life Mm -hmm. and just needed that physical touch. But I think sometimes it's even hard for me to like cuddle or hug any gender because I'm scared of sexualizing people and I'm just so used to being sexualized myself. Mm -hmm. And for me, that like pattern of being used to being sexualized, especially at certain gender dynamics is where it's really easy for me to find erasure. You know what I mean? Like it's when you're being autonomous and you're being vulnerable, there is, there's also an element too, I think with queer people Fems and masks, um, who most queer people have, especially those of us assigned female at birth, have experience with being sexualized and with sexual trauma to some degree. And so then we do have that sensitivity about the other person and we mirror each other there. And that is so fucking vulnerable. And it can be really fucking hard, I think, to continue to have sex when you're like you're so aware of of what that person is holding in their body when it comes to sex and when it comes to sexual trauma that it's like I don't know if that's the experience that you're speaking to but sometimes that mirror for me can be can be intensely vulnerable for sure totally and when you say you tap into the creative like to creative energy and queer sex do you guys like talk about it beforehand is it largely intuitive Is there a plan? Is there a map? My partner and I joke sometimes that we feel like we should have a huddle beforehand and be like, so what's the vibe? What are we trying to create? Like, what is it today? Which we don't do, (laughs) but we, we kind of, we kind of do sometimes actually, but it's a lot of sensing. And I think, you know, we know each other so well and we have such clear chemistry there of being able to read each other sometimes we are full-blown in caretaking kink sometimes I fully embody the masculine and my partner will switch that's more rare because they really hold down more of the masculine template with us um but sometimes it does happen like we just feel these these shifts and also of course we're we're clued into the nuances of each other's daily lives right now being quarantined with each other so we know like the inner workings of what's going on and what the other person is doing and if they're doing shadow work and all that stuff comes out in our sex. And yeah, sometimes it's like suddenly we're playing characters that we've never, you know, that have never come out before. And we always dissect it and analyze it and check in about it afterwards for sure. And kind of build on those conversations the next time that we have sex. God, conversations around sex is so important and so cool. In a lot of my relationships, it's been so intuitive and then we don't talk about it. Mm. And I think in a way that gets uh, pedestalized, like, oh, we just fuck and then it's like magic. And it's like, okay, but sometimes it's cool to talk about the magic. Mm. Sometimes there's more healing to talk about the magic. I think think people are worried about talking about it because it might like kill the vibe. But what are you going to say? I was just going to say right now, 
a lot of times, like, I'm in the throes of a lot of, like, I'm in the hospital a lot right now, so I'm, like, actively being traumatized a lot, and so I cry during sex a lot, or I shut down, and so a lot of it right now is, like, actively being, like, my body is freezing into a robot, and tears are falling out of my eyes, which might look like that means I don't want to have sex, but I actually really do want to have sex. I just want you to help me work through this energy and, like, hold space for what's happening while we fuck. And then my partner's like, okay, cool. And like, ask me questions about that. And like, yeah. So I mean, kind of, I guess when one person is like weeping (laughs) while they're getting fucked, usually you have to check in and be like, hey, uh, do you want me to fuck you differently? (laughs) That's so nice. You manifested a great partner, didn't you? I did. Yeah. About damn time. Yeah. How did you do that? I did manifest them. And... I I really did come out of years and years and years of relationship violence and abuse and toxicity and just like fierce, fierce codependency patterns. And I'm not saying that all that stuff is just healed overnight by any means, but I did take a really um, intentional break, especially when I was really integrating my illness and stuff. I just, well, I had like, whatever we want to call it, kind of a great awakening at the end of 2019, the beginning of 2020, where I just connected to my magic and started to really believe that I could create whatever I wanted. And I didn't formerly believe that at all. I formerly was like seeking validation from the external a lot. And I just started, I think for me, manifestation was just like fully embodying the belief that I deserve healthy love and I deserve mutual love and I just worked on my ideas about my own worthiness a lot and I sat with myself in that for months and months and months and then I met my partner I was septic in the hospital and uh with a skull infection and the day I had all these cool guides visit me in the hospital and all these amazing spiritual experiences and then the day I got out I met them in a backyard by a fire pit and it was truly like you know we just kind of knew we just were like oh they lived in California at the time and they moved out here fairly quickly which is a queer queer move for sure but (laughs) uh it's been yeah it's been really mutually healing for both of us I love that so much I want to say with that though too if I think so many people are mean to themselves because they're like, well, I haven't manifested like this partner to love me. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't think, I think there's this idea that love comes for everyone. And I don't know that it does, but I think we can still have that beautiful sex magic with ourselves, even if our knight in shining armor isn't outside the door or outside of the hospital waiting for us, you know? Absolutely. And what's funny about that is I was manifesting a partner, but I did not want it to be now at all. I like actively was like, I'm still codependent as fuck. Like, I still have these wounds bopping up like whack-a-mole every day. I literally was saying to my guy, it's like, give me a year, give me a year. Like, you know, maybe in a year we'll revisit this stuff. Cause I had just gotten out of the most traumatic relationship I've ever been in. And I also think that's funny. I was kind of actively like, all right, I am doing this manifestation work, but I don't want it now at all. I'm not ready. And 
still it was like all right well for you this might be the helpful thing to heal that shit but I don't think that's the case for everyone at all yeah and I hope no matter if we have a partner or we feel so fucking alone that we can masturbate and love ourselves or take a bath to love ourselves or even hide and cry and be angry under a cover to love ourselves I love you and I am so thankful for you for all the times you've magically showed up in my life how you show up in other people's life and how you showed up to your own darkness and to your own light do you want people to find you do you want people to know who you are how can people find you if they want to connect well it's healing smut on instagram which can also look like healing smut but it's healings it's healing smut yeah and it is like sexual pictures right it is it's truly just photos of my butt and then me talking about what it's like to be sick that's beautiful (laughs) i think i said that's beautiful way too much thank you Mackenzie. um you're having a surgery soon right you want to tell us what that is in case people want to send you love or healing or words or whatever? Yeah, I'm having a brain surgery and a skull surgery on March 3rd to get the holes in my brain patched and the bone in my skull cut off. And I would love any healing that folks want to send my way. I love you. Thank you. And... Goodbye. Thank you, Lacey. Love you. There is a perfect square in the ceiling. The word whole would make it sound round. I need you to know about the 90 degree angles. I need you to know about the yellow ghost who serves as a metaphor for distance, then illness, then our fear of ourselves. I drape myself in emerald lace to straddle you both reaching for purple silicone, moving it 90 degrees rigid. In my mind, I'm calculating correlations between taste and death. In my mind, the scrapbook is made of surgical steel and the dining room centers an operating table. In my mind, I'm keeping track of which weather, which vegetables, which syllable sounds make me sad for no reason. When God is missing, sex is too. Plays while the bath turns cold and no sign of us leaving it. The water in the back of your head both flame-colored. This is my favorite December. If not for the pandemic, we would ride horses. We would fly to Hawaii. We'd lose track of our incredible pain.
guys for listening to Horror Pod. If you want to book a reading with me, you can go to my website, laceyfree.com, or follow me on Instagram at laceyisfree for more of my poetry, and I'll start doing more lives on there about energy and herbs. If you have questions about herbs or about sex or your own superpowers, or you want to do a healing session with me, laceyfree.com is a great place for that. If you want to share some of your poetry and talk to like-minded individuals about sex magic, about magical beings, about trauma, or just share your art, poems, we have a Facebook page. Horpod has a Facebook page. Just search Horpod on Facebook and join the group and be friends with people. Share some of your shit. And I'm also on Twitter, I guess, kind of. I don't know. Twitter scares me, guys. But you can follow Horpod at Horpod on Twitter. I love you, and I'm sending you all sacred fucking rage. In love.